Howdy friends and welcome to another Equip podcast from Wyoming Church of Christ where we look back at what we covered at our Equip Theology class on Sunday as well as press a little bit deeper into our learning. The last couple of weeks we've been considering the question of what happens after we die. We finished looking at the intermediate state and how the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory doesn't have biblical or historical merit to it. And we've begun to turn our attention to the very difficult doctrine of hell. Difficult intellectually, but more than that, difficult emotionally. Particularly when you consider what we saw in the scriptures about hell on Sunday. It is eternal, conscious torment. Those are three very weighty words when it comes to this doctrine of hell. Eternal, conscious torment. And I want to just unpack a few things about what it means for hell to be described by those three words. Uh, Before we do, uh, you might remember that we looked at a range of scriptures that described hell. Uh, Jesus used the word Gehenna in a number of them in the Gospels, and then there's one reference in James. And then there are a number of other illustrations that described hell. They didn't use that word Gehenna, but, but still sort of had comparable concepts. And uh, just briefly, you might remember some of the conclusions that we drew from those scriptures, like that hell is both a condition and a location. It's, it's not just psychological, it's bodily, it's physical. Remember, people will be raised uh, at the general resurrection with a, a new body. And believers, those who trusted in the grace of Christ, will go to the new heavens and the new earth. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks. Uh, but unbelievers will go to hell and they'll go there bodily. That implies, of course, that hell is a space that people will occupy and it will involve physical torment. Uh, Similarly, hell involves in its location exclusion and isolation. Matthew 22, 13 pitches outer darkness. 2 Thessalonians pitches being shut out from the presence of the Lord. And this isn't to say that God is not present in hell. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. But rather than be present to bless, he will be present to bring judgment in hell. And we just don't have a picture, really, of how bad that will be. Even the worst day that someone might experience on life here on earth still has God's common grace all over it. It still involves another breath. It still involves our hearts beating. It still involves getting to enjoy aspects of his creation, and those things will be taken away in hell where people will no longer experience the blessing of his presence and his common grace. Another conclusion that we drew is that God's judgment is just. He is right to express anger and fury at sin. Um, We would conclude that, I think, from the fact that um, sin against an infinitely holy God carries an infinite price tag. There is an infinite crime that has been committed. This is why it's important to affirm that that hell is eternal. I think the biggest conclusion that we draw about hell is to avoid it at all costs. Do everything you can not to end up there. Jesus talks about gouging out eyes and cutting off hands. Perhaps not literally, of course, but do anything you can to avoid hell. Trust in Christ today. Keep repenting of sin. Now, we also, um, in raising those three words, eternal conscious torment, I I left you with an activity to do there. 
uh, that we didn't get time to do on Sunday. Perhaps you've taken a look at that and considered what might be one verse you could go to that clearly shows hell is eternal, hell is conscious, and that it involves torment. Here's just one verse I've got for each one. Hell is eternal. We read in Matthew 25, 46. This is part of the parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, the goats picturing unbelievers. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It would be right to say that if we expect eternal life to go on forever, we ought to expect eternal punishment and eternal hell to go on forever as well. To say that hell is not eternal is to say that the new heavens and the new earth may not be eternal. The two have to go together in that verse. Uh, one of the implications of this is that following or not following Jesus has eternal consequences. So be sure about whether you truly are trusting in him. Another implication is that sin is infinitely offensive to God. It carries an eternal price tag. So therefore, let that help you repent now. Let that be another arrow in your quiver against sin. And finally, there is no escape from hell. So evangelize now while people have a chance to turn and know Christ. By the way, just that word eternal, uh, there's a, the Greek word for that is ionios. And we're going to consider what that word means on Sunday. Uh, one of the big challenges to the doctrine of hell that we've been talking about comes from a view called annihilationism. Uh, basically that people will go to hell, but only for a time. Uh, they'll be at one point totally destroyed in hell and their, their punishment will be no more. One of the arguments comes from uh, the, the idea that that word eternal doesn't really mean eternal. It just means for an age. And uh, I'm going to show you guys some of the historical and linguistic reasons why that's not a good argument. So make sure you're there Sunday to consider that with us. Uh, secondly, hell is conscious. Matthew 22, 13, the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Having this conscious experience of outer darkness and weeping and gnashing teeth, you know, grinding your teeth or spitting out insults perhaps, uh, these imply consciousness. One implication for life now is that our prospects without Christ would be much worse than any bad thing we face in this life. Even the worst day on earth pales in comparison to the worst day in hell, or the best day in hell, we might even say. So be thankful to Jesus. It's also untrue to say that believers go to a better place, sorry, unbelievers go to a better place or are at peace after they die. Sometimes this idea comes up in funerals. An unbeliever dies and someone goes, well, at least they're at rest now. Uh, might consider how we could challenge that assumption. Obviously, we want to do so gently, given the context in which that idea is often raised. Uh, but we shouldn't simply nod our heads and go, ah, yes, they're at peace now. That's just not true. Hell is eternal and it's conscious. And it also involves torment. It's not a barbecue with my mates. Revelation 14, 11 pictures that very clearly saying that the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night. These worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. One implication for that is 
in terms of our evangelism, we, we don't want to sort of step around this fact. We want to be honest with people about their prospects without Christ. They might laugh at us, they might ridicule us, they might think that it's stupid, but our responsibility is to be honest. Life without God is horrific. Psychologically, emotionally, relationally, physically. It's, it's best described by that word torment. People experience that only in a limited way now, but hell puts it fully on display. I also gave you uh, some excerpts over the page to a sermon by a fellow named John, Jonathan Edwards from a couple of centuries ago. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Um, I disagree with a few things in his sermon. I, it's a cracker, but, but also has a few things that I'd want to phrase differently, um, I, I say respectfully. Uh, I, I might not use the phrase angry God, uh, even though God is angry at sin and justly pours out wrath against it uh, and on the ones who sin. Um, but I, I don't think anger is the best way to describe his disposition towards us now. His disposition towards us now, if we are in Christ, is of course one of love and delight. Um, so read Jonathan Edwards' sermon with that in mind. Read it as a picture of what would have been if we did not have Christ. But if you read it in that light, there are some things there that are extremely challenging, extremely uncomfortable, and I think that press us into just how good grace is, just how good Christ is, and just how horrible hell is. As I've read back through that sermon this week, it's made me really want to share the gospel with, with sort of greater boldness. I'm considering how I can do that. Just got three more questions briefly that I, I want to chat through with you just to finish our time off. So uh, one question is, what kind of torment or punishment will there be in hell? Another is, are there degrees of punishment? And the third is, is hell God's torture chamber? Is he a sadist? Now the first there, what kind of torment or punishment will there be in hell? Well, I think certainly there has to be a physical dimension. Dimensions of fire and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, they seem to be pretty concrete images. We should also expect that since the dead will be raised bodily, they will suffer physically if they're in hell. Um, it's worth also noting, however, that the, the, words of, the, the images of fire and darkness and things like that are metaphors. Uh, there might not literally be fire in hell. It might not literally be a dark place. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that on Sunday. But again, since people will be raised physically, we should expect that there will be some degree of physical punishment. It seems, however, that the bigger thing to fear about hell is the psychological or relational dimension of suffering. Isaiah 66.24 pictures uh, that uh, their worm will not die, the fire will not be quenched. Again, these images of eternal conscious torment. And uses this phrase that they will be loathsome to all mankind. That those in hell will, will sort of loathe the reality in which they are. Uh, similarly, multitudes who sleep in the dust of earth will awake, says Daniel in chapter 12 verse 2. Some to eternal life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. There's this sense of people regretting that they are in hell. Uh, perhaps there's the, the torment of knowing they could have chosen differently, but then there's nothing they can do about it. 
There's also that uh, image of being shut out from the presence of the Lord once again. So being denied all the good common grace that we have from him in this world. It would seem perhaps that the worst torment of hell is what we might call fruitless remorse. That is regretting what one has done while being completely unable to change their situation. This is the really the just outcome of sin. Rejecting God leads to the rejection of all of his blessings. And alongside this, rejecting God means rejecting the greatest relationship we could ever have. One with our creator who loves us and even gave his son for us. It also means isolation from every other relationship that we might enjoy because relationships themselves are one of God's blessings. And worst of all, since hell is eternal, there's no prospect of this ever changing. That is a psychological, relational and deeply tormenting dimension of the suffering that people will face in hell. Second question, are there degrees of punishment in hell? We might be uncomfortable saying yes, but it would seem that there are. Jesus pictures uh, in Luke 12, verse 46 to 48, that parable of a, uh, a master who will beat a certain servant with few blows and another servant with many blows. It's a difficult image. It's not one that sits nicely, but certainly there's a, a picture here of uh, the servant who is less culpable for what happened in their master's house receives less punishment. The one who is more culpable, who should have known better, so to speak, receives greater punishment. One way of putting this is that answerability is proportionate to awareness. If we apply that to hell, those who know less of God's will shall receive less punishment, it would seem. Those who know more will receive more. If we think about people in the West who are surrounded by churches and have so many English translations of the Bible to which they could turn, many of whom have heard the gospel, many of whom have friends who are praying for them and trying to reach out to them. Those who had every chance to turn to Jesus are going to receive greater punishment in hell, it would seem, than those who had fewer chances. And perhaps this makes sense of the idea of remorse in hell. Those who had everything at their fingertips but still chose to reject it will feel even greater shame and remorse. Finally, our third question, is hell God's torture chamber? Is he a sadist? Is hell something God delights in? Will he have sort of the trident out poking people and having glee in doing that? Well, no. We read in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, He wills that none should perish. And Ezekiel 33 11 tells us that God does not take delight in the death of the wicked. God doesn't change. He still wills today that none should perish. He still takes no delight in the death of the wicked, the death of the person who is sentenced to hell. This is God's character. He loves his creation and he longs for them to be with him. But at the same time, God has an eternal purpose for his creation. At some point in the quit, we're going to try to unpack a bit more what's called the doctrines of grace, that God predestines people for heaven or hell, for life with him. Uh, people, he predestines them for life with him or passes over them 
so that they do not have life with him. Again, a really difficult thing to consider. Uh, but there's a bigger picture here as well. In one sense, God wills that none should perish. But in another sense, he still wills in his hidden, mysterious, sovereign will that some of his creation would be consigned to hell. Very difficult to consider. But at the same time that he does not delight in hell, he is also glorified in the judgment poured out in hell because it is a right judgment. It is right for God to judge those who have sinned against him. It is right for God to judge those who have upset the order in his universe, who have gone against his created will. Christians have thought this for a long time. For example, Thomas Aquinas at the turn of the second millennium wrote about uh, how retributive justice actually restores the moral order of the universe. As such, when God pours out judgment in hell, it brings praise to him as well as re-establishing truth and righteousness forever. So to call hell sadism, as some do, is actually blasphemous. It involves calling evil a good thing. It involves calling good an evil thing. By contrast, hell is a righteous act of divine judgment that will bring both harmony to creation and glory to God. Packer expresses this really well. This is J.I. Packer. Um, God the Father, who now pleads with mankind to accept the reconciliation that Christ's death secured for all, and God the Son, our appointed judge who wept over Jerusalem, will, in a final judgment, express wrath and administer justice against rebellious humans. God's holy righteousness will hereby be revealed. God will be doing the right thing, vindicating himself at last against all who have defied him. God will judge justly, and all angels, saints, and martyrs will praise him for it. So it seems inescapable that we shall with them approve the judgment of persons, rebels, whom we have known and loved. Profoundly challenging, uh, but I tend to think Packer's right. We can't really picture in the final scheme of things standing with God and approving of his judgment of sinners in hell, and yet we will. We will even approve of the judgment of those that we loved. It just seems so difficult to sit with. But I think in the x-ray light of eternity, the Bible's clear. We will see God's justice and we will praise him for it. We'll see the rightness of it. We'll just have to wait and trust God in the meantime. Now, this Sunday, uh, we're going to unpack two arguments against the idea of hell as eternal conscious torment. One's called annihilationism. It's the idea that people in hell will at one point just simply stop existing. They'll be annihilated. Therefore, their, eternal, their, their punishment will not be eternal. Uh, and then another view called universalism, which is that eventually um, all people will be saved out of hell. Uh, we'll consider the biblical arguments, both for and against those views, and look at a little bit of history as well. Um, I want you to bring your questions about hell and about those ideas. Uh, I was listening to a podcast from a couple of Aussie pastors not too long ago. I really disagreed with most of what they had to say as they were sort of um, trying to make a, a case for 
annihilationism and universalism. I, I think they were wrong in a whole lot of ways, but they had some really good insights, I think, about the pastoral difficulties of the doctrine of hell. Uh, that is, um, among them, people sometimes feel like they're going to go to hell if they have questions about hell. I want to assure you that that's not going to happen. Uh, if you have questions about hell, the best thing to do is ask them. That's one of the reasons that we have our equipped theology class. So please write down your questions, bring them on Sunday, and we'll do our best to untangle them together. Look forward to seeing you there, friends. Bye for now.